And welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, Episode 10. Today, a controversial Bible question. Does the Bible forbid interracial marriage? We're also going to be reading Genesis chapters 10 and 11, Ezra 10, Matthew 10, and Acts chapter 10. And so, as I said, today's big Bible question comes from a biblical situation that our British friends might call a sticky wicket, which means kind of a difficult situation. The scribe and priest Ezra has discovered that some of the Israelite men have disobeyed God's command and intermarried with Canaanite women. And he's very disappointed, to say the least, ultimately calling on these men to send their foreign wives away. Which brings us to our big question. Is interracial marriage unbiblical? As many pastors and leaders argued in Civil War slavery times in America and other places as well. Does mixed-race marriage displease God now, and did it ever displease God? Now, by the way, if this discussion is interesting to you at all, you might want to read my book, The Bible and Racism, where I go into a good bit more detail than we will today on the issue of whether the Bible justifies racism or not. And in fact, it does not in the least bit, even though there have been evil men over the years who have twisted the Bible to justify their stupid, horrendous, racist beliefs, the Bible doesn't do so. The Bible wars against that, but that book is available on Amazon. Now, let me say this before we get into Ezra chapter 10. Today's Bible reading on the podcast will seek to correct a mistake I made yesterday. Now, if this is your first time here listening to the podcast or one of your first times, here's our plan to promote daily Bible reading. We're doing that by reading through the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. His goal, and he was a pastor, a young pastor, who was uh, in the 1800s in Dundee, Scotland. His goal was to lead his congregation to read the entire Bible through in one year, and his plan allows that to happen and more so. When you follow it daily, which is what we're doing, uh, you'll also read, not only will you read the whole Bible in a year, you'll read Psalms and the New Testament twice, which is awesome. Awesome. And hey, I'd love for you to read the entire Bible through in a year with us, but that's not the goal of this podcast. And I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of a church in Salinas, California called Valley Baptist Church. We're on 320 Church Street. And if you're in the Monterey Salinas area, come visit us on a Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. We start at 1030 and we're leading our people through this same initiative to read through the Bible. Uh, and we're calling it... <laughs> clever alert, uh, Bible 2020 initiative. That's great, right? Uh, but the goal, even with our church, is not to get people to read the Bible cover to cover or even to follow the Robert Murray McShane plan exactly. The goal is to help lead us in daily Bible reading. And that means that you can pick up this goal in early January, like where we are now, or the middle of summer, or late October, or whenever, and be successful. You're not a failure if you don't read the Bible through this year. If you miss a day's reading, only go back and read it if you have the time, and it won't compromise your Bible reading for today. The goal is not to catch up with yesterday's reading. The goal is daily Bible reading. And for the church I'm pastoring, I'd love for us all to be reading the same passage on the same day. So we're all sort of, you know, on the same page kind of thing. And if you get 
If you get a couple of days behind, that's fine. Make it up next year. Make it up when you have a vacation day. Don't make it up at all. Focus on daily Bible reading. We'll make it up or not. The goal is to forge ahead and develop a daily Bible reading habit. There is not an extra crown in heaven for those who are able to read the Bible through in a year according to the Robert Murray McShane plan. You don't lose jewels in your crown if you miss more than three days in a year or something crazy like that. That said, Yesterday, I made a mistake, and I left out Genesis 10, which we were supposed to read yesterday. Today, for the sake of completeness, we're going to make up for it, but you don't have to make up for things in the past. But first, we're going to read Ezra chapter 10, and my Bible's heading in the Christian Standard Bible says, Sending away foreign wives. Oh dear. Verse 1. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, an Elamite, responded to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the surrounding people, but there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Let us therefore make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the command of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility, and we support you. Be strong and take action. Then Ezra got up and made the leading priests, Levites, and all Israelites take an oath to do what had been said. So they took the oath. Ezra then went from the house of God and walked to the chamber of Jehanan, son of Eliashib, where he spent the night. He did not eat food or drink water because he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. They circulated a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all the exiles should gather at Jerusalem. Whoever did not come within three days would forfeit all his possessions according to the decision of the leaders and elders and would be excluded from the assembly of the exiles. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem within the three days. On the twentieth day of the ninth month, all the people sat in the square at the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. Then the priest Ezra stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Therefore, make a confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. Then all the assembly responded loudly, Yes, we will do as you say, but there are many people and it is the rainy season. We don't have the stamina to stay out here in the open. This isn't something that can be done in a day or two, for we have rebelled terribly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the entire assembly. Then let all those in our towns who have married foreign women come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each town in order to avert the fierce anger of our God concerning this matter. Only Jonathan, son of Ashahel, and Jehaziah, son of Tikva, opposed this, with Meshulam and Shabbatai the Levite supporting them. The exiles did what had been proposed. The priest Ezra selected men who were family heads, all identified by name to represent their ancestral families. They convened on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter, and by the first day of the first month they had dealt with all the men who had married foreign women. 
The following were found to have married foreign women from the descendants of the priests, from the descendants of Jeshua, son of Jazadak, and his brothers, Maasiah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah. They pledged to send their wives away, and being guilty, they offered a ram from the flock in for their guilt. Hanani and Zebediah from Immer's descendants, Maasiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jelel, and Uzziah from Haram's descendants, Elioni, Maasai, Ishmael, Nethanel, Jotzebed, and Elasa from Pasher's descendants, and the Levites, Jazebed, Shemai, Keliah, that is Kelida, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eleazar, the singers, Eliashib, the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri, the Israelites, Parosh's descendants, Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkajah, Mijimin, Eleazar, Malkajai, and Benaiah, Elam's descendants, Metaniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah, Zatu's descendants, Elianai, Eliashib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza, Babai's descendants, Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athlai, Bani's descendants, Meshulam, Malak, Adiah, Jashub, Sheel, and Jeremoth, Pahath Moab's descendants, Adna, Chalal, Benaiah, Messiah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Benui, and Manasseh, Haram's descendants, Eleazar, Ishajah, Malkajai, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malak, and Shemariah, Hashem's descendants, Matani, Matata, Zabed, Eliphelet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shemai, Bani's descendants, Maadai, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bedaiah, Cheluhi, Vaniah, Merimoth, Eliashab, Mataniah, Matani, Jashu, Bani, Binui, Shemai, Shelemiah, Nathan, or Natan, Adaiah, Magnadibai, Shashai, Sherai, Azrael, Shelemiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph, Nebu's descendants, Jehel, Mattithiah, Zebad, Zebni, Zebni, uh, Jadai, Joel, and Benaiah. All of these had married foreign women, and some of the wives had given birth to children. And I'd like now to give a shout out to the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Yuri for having names that were easy to pronounce. And I would like to apologize to my Hebrew professor, Dr. Knight, for the fact that I mispronounced uh, the name Maasiah about uh, four or five different ways. So my bad there. It appeared several times. I think I pronounced it differently every time. I need to polish up on my Hebrew. Now, back to business. Ezra the scribe discovered in chapter 9, yesterday's reading, that the Israelites had disobeyed God's commands and intermarried with the Canaanites. This upset the man so much that he tore his clothing and pulled out his hair and pulled out his beard hair. And if you don't have a beard, I do have a beard. I can tell you that pulling out your beard hair hurts like crazy, like more than your head hair. What was the problem? Well, the problem was the 
the uh, the God had forbidden the Israelites for marrying the women of Canaan. Now, I note here, not all foreign women, just the women of the Canaan area. Here's the passage from Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. God says, You must not intermarry with them, and you must not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will swiftly destroy you. So, maybe you see the point of the Deuteronomy passage. The children of Israel could not marry the people of the promised land, which was identified in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 7 as the Hethites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, because they would turn the hearts of the Yahweh following Israelites towards other gods. This, and I, I cannot say this loudly enough or clearly enough, I put a lot of bolding in the article for this uh, entry on BibleReadingPodcast.com so it would come across clearly. And please go read it, BibleReadingPodcast.com. This was not a race issue. I note here that the Israelites were not white and the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, whatever, black. I guess in modern parlance, they would all be brown or whatever you would want to say. But these are people all from the same part of the world. They are all directly related to each other. They're all directly descended from Noah's sons. I'll say again, this was not a race issue or a skin color issue. All these people would almost certainly have looked the same and have been of nearly the same race, although it is pointed out that the Canaanites were uh, quite a bit larger than the Israelites. I guess that's something. But keep in mind that Abraham, the father of the Israelites, was himself from Ur of the Chaldeans, or Tel el Mukayar, which is in modern-day Iraq. Yes, Iraq. Yes, Abraham was from Iraq. So the children of Israel are basically ethnic Iraqi people. I'm not kidding. So some rapid fire questions here. Number one, are Christians still forbidden from marrying people from Canaan? (laughs) In the New Testament, Paul commands Christians to not be unequally yoked. This is in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, which says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Christians have long taken that passage as a prohibition on a Christian marrying an unbeliever, and I completely agree with that interpretation. This does not, however, forbid interracial marriage, but interfaith marriage. Question number two, is interracial marriage wrong according to the Bible? Listen carefully. (laughs) I want to emphasize, absolutely not. Not in any way, shape, or form. The Bible does not speak out against interracial marriage, only interfaith marriage. Moses, the most prominent leader of the Israelites, was married to an African Cushite woman that was almost certainly black-skinned. Did you know that? Were you further aware that Miriam, Moses' sister, criticized him for that marriage? Well, let's take a look at it. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. 
Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended, and a pillar of cloud stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. That's Numbers 12, 1 through 9. So in summary, Miriam criticized Moses for marrying a black woman. God came down and defended Moses and gave Miriam a skin disease that turned her skin lily white until Moses interceded and prayed for her to be healed. Hmm, how about that? How about them apples, as we used to say in the South? Further, the book of Ruth is about a Moabite woman named Ruth who marries a Jewish man named Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, is in the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is a direct descendant of her. There are other examples of this in scriptures as well. In some, no, the Bible does not forbid interracial marriage. If you think it does, I would like to challenge you to read again. And if you hear a little bit of edge in my voice, understand this. I'm pastoring in California right now, but I grew up in Alabama. I love Alabama. I love the people of Alabama. Alabama is not nearly as racist as probably most of the people around the country think it is, um, especially among the people that say would be 50 and younger. However, I think there is still a persistent myth among many people in Alabama and other places that the Bible somehow, some way comes out against interracial marriage and it doesn't. And the, and people have for centuries used the Bible, twisted the Bible to support their vile racism. And I should be honest with you, it's one of the things that makes my blood boil. So I'm actually restraining myself right now because the Bible does not justify our racism. I'll say it one more time. Abraham was an Iraqi man. He was from a place that is in modern day Iraq. The children of Israel, therefore, descended from Iraqis And that means that Jesus, who was not a white guy, he was a Middle Easterner guy with olive skin, was descended from the Iraqi people. I think that sort of completely rules out racism for any Christian person. Unless you're a Middle Easterner and you think you guys are the best, in which case, I'm not sure I can argue against that. Final question. Did Ezra do the right thing in making the Israelites divorce their foreign wives in Ezra 9 and 10? I tell you what, I've almost dreaded this question for like three days. It's a tough question. An answer is difficult to come by. I note here, there is no indication in the text of Ezra 9 or 10 that God commanded Ezra to tell the Israelites to put away their foreign spouses. I also note that the idea for the divorce came from not Ezra, but 
Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, an Elamite. And that guy says, uh, that guy encourages them to make an oath to, to do, to, to divorce their wives. And, uh, well, Ezra encourages the oath, but, um, the fact of the matter is, uh, the Bible is pretty strong about not taking oaths, uh, Old and New Testament. That's, that's not a great idea. And so I don't know what to say here. I get the sense Ezra is definitely trying to please the Lord, but we don't see any scripture where God commands divorce to happen. In fact, I note that Malachi 2.16 says uh, that God hates divorce. I also note that for Christians that are living under the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7 says this, uh, this is verse 12, If any brother has an unbelieving, unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. <laughs> now, that's a that's a Bible passage that brings up all kinds of questions. Maybe we'll tackle it when we get to 1 Corinthians 7, which itself brings up a ton of questions. But the bottom line is, if you are a Christian married to an unbeliever, the Bible says no to getting a divorce. So I'm honestly not sure if Ezra commanded the Israelites to do the right thing in divorcing their foreign wives in this situation. Honestly, I would lean towards no. I'm not sure if that was the way to repent in this situation or not. And I'm just giving you my opinion, and it's worth what you paid for this podcast, which I hope is free. If you did pay somebody for it, I apologize. You didn't pay me for it. I'm sure of this, however, Paul's command that I just read is crystal clear. If a believer is in a marriage with an unbeliever, the Christian must not divorce their spouse. All right, let's get into Genesis chapters 10 and 11 now. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. And, and let me say this before I read. There's a lot of names here, names I'm not very familiar with. I've had several Hebrew classes at the master's level in seminary. And I just want to tell you this. Don't take my pronunciation to be anything more than the pronunciation of a guy born in Alabama that lives in California now. I'm, uh, for some of these, it's, it's a pretty good guess. And I've heard other Hebrew people say it properly. For some of these, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm guessing and doing the best I can. Verse one. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Gomer's sons, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. And Javan's sons, Elishaah, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these descendants, the peoples of the coasts and islands spread out into their lands according to their clans and their nations, each with its own language. Ham's sons, Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. Cush's sons, Seba, Havila, Sabta, Raama, Sabteca, and Raama's sons, Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod who began to be powerful in the land. 
He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. It's one of my favorite verses. His kingdom started with Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboath-er, Kelah, and Rezin between Nineveh and the great city Kalah. Mitzrayim fathered the people of Lud, Anam, Lahab, Napta, Pathras, Kashla, the Philistines come from them, and Kaftor. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, as well as the Jebusites, Amorites, and the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zimorites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the Canaanite clan scattered. The Canaanite border went from Sidon, going through Gerar as far as Gaza, and going through Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim as far as Lashah. These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages and their lands and their nations. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. Shem's sons were Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. Aram's sons were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, for during his days the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan, and Joktan fathered Almodad, Sheleph, Hazarmavith, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obat, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havila, and Jobab. All these were Joktan's sons. Their settlements extended from Mesha to Safar, the eastern hill country. These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their languages and their lands and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for murder and mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. These are the family records of Shem. Shem lived 100 years and fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. After he fathered Arpachshad, Shem lived 500 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Arpachshad lived 35 years and fathered Shelah. After he fathered Shelah, Arpachshad lived 403 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Shelah lived 30 years and fathered Eber. 
After he fathered Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and fathered Peleg. After he fathered Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and fathered Ru. After he fathered Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and fathered Sarag. After he fathered Sarag, Ru lived 207 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Sarag lived 30 years and fathered Nahor. After he fathered Nahor, Sarag lived 200 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and fathered Terah. After he fathered Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah, she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Matthew 10, verse 1. Summoning the twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But but if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, 
don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, Staring at him in awe, he said, "Uh, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have descended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. 
The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened in an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second voice, second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with him, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four, year, four days ago, at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you for to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you've been commanded by the Lord. Peter began to speak. <laughs> now I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. 
God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And that was the word of the Lord. I hope that was edifying, encouraging to you. I know any time we read the word of God, even with long, difficult to pronounce names, it's always good. It's always fruitful. It will not return void. It will produce a crop in our lives. So ponder the word. Let it be an encouragement and a challenge to you, and we will see you tomorrow. Godspeed.